Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Leo. So summer's over, right? It's getting there. Kids are back in school. Yeah, I mean, but you don't have that because you have the all. I keep forgetting about that. You have the all year school, but it's a new year, right? Yes, it is. Kind of feels like it. It's definitely starting to cool down. And I imagine by the time this episode comes out, it will probably actually be fall. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's going in that direction. I just like that cool air, no air conditioning on. Just I like fall. Like, I really do. As I've grown older, it's become one of my more favorite seasons. Yeah. Especially now that it doesn't matter to me that school is only in the fall or you know, I take the summer off because it's apparent. I don't know about you, but like, well, I guess it doesn't matter to you. But to me, and especially Mrs. Dion, the hectic schedule of the summer is, it can be a little bit much having to plan around not having school. Yeah. A lot of things that I enjoy even through the summer just become a little bit more cozy to me. Hot beverages and yes, snug clothes, my bed. They all just become way more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I think um, easing into the fall with uh, like school becoming a little bit more routine because Kira does get a few weeks off over the summer. Things just seem to start slowing down and able to chill out a little bit and just sit back and enjoy a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because the last episode we talked to Jess, which if you haven't gone back and listened to that episode, it's awesome. She talked about conference organizing. And my summer has pretty much been a summer of conferences and actually speaking at conferences. So for me, it's like nice to finally, I enjoy it, but it's work. It's like real work and having to do that. And I figured today is probably a good opportunity to talk about speaking at conferences and public speaking and how that works and some of the challenges and how to get into conferences and things like that. What do you think? Does that sound like a good idea for today? Yeah, it's probably especially close to your mind. It seems like you've been winding down the summer by ramping up your uh, conference schedule. From what I know, you've been doing a lot more traveling recently and doing a lot more prep work for these conferences. So yeah, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about that. So yeah, I spoke at three conferences this summer, one in... Detroit, which is nearby, and then Toronto, which I actually drove to. And then I flew to Denver, which I just got back from. Different audiences, kind of different themes of these conferences, but nevertheless, it was really an interesting, fun experience to have. So you're a international speaker now. And do you mind giving the the names of the three conferences? Let's give them shout outs. Yeah, absolutely. Detroit Dev Day. So that was one day I did a workshop on building an app for the watch, Apple Watch, and then kind of like an intro to Swift. That was really interesting because I had a lot of like really interesting, exotic, I want to say programming languages. That's kind of the topic, not your more typical Midwest, typical software developer type conference, but some really interesting stuff that's going on. And then... I spoke in Swift Toronto, which was really awesome. Like you said, international traveler, even though I drove there. So that's that's kind of different. Was that your first international speaking gig? Absolutely. Yes. I had to nice. learn how to speak Canadian. and You did it in French? Luckily, I didn't have to do the talk twice, like in English and French. And then last week, I did 360 iDev in Denver, which I think that's the 10th year they've run that. And so obviously those last two are definitely targeted more for what I do specifically, which is development on the Apple platforms and like learning Swift and all that stuff. And then Swift Toronto, which is just a one day event. So I pretty much came the night before and left the morning after. And then Denver was like a four day event Sunday through Wednesday. So yeah, 
really good conferences. I'm hoping to attend some of those again. What was some of your motivation for doing these three conferences? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, to me, like I do it, I run my own business. We've talked a bit about self-employment quite a bit. And like one of the great ways to reach a new audience besides like the internet marketing type stuff of social network. But I think like actually speaking at a conference and letting people meet you and like speaking on a topic, showing that I have an expertise on a topic is a big reason why I would do conferences like that is to get that exposure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And you already mentioned that at least two of those were very much in your wheelhouse and you do iOS development. So you're automatically going to a place where you know you're going to meet a lot of people who are already interested in what you're going to be talking about and the same sorts of work that you do. Yeah. And I think that's really important to understand is like when you speak at a certain conference or a certain group, make sure you like understand your audience. You don't want to just speak at a conference of accountants on iOS development because that's not going to get you anywhere. But I think you should choose wisely where you speak. And also, when you come up with your content, understand what their level of understanding of that subject is and whether that is apropos. I get to say apropos for that audience. So if it's a bunch of software developers who don't know anything about Apple platforms, I might do more like an intro talk and just let the conference organizer understand that. But for a room full of experienced iOS developers, people who develop apps, I might be willing to do a slightly more advanced topic. And that's definitely the circumstance that I took on the summer was like understanding each conference is for a particular audience and has a certain level of understanding of that subject. So I wanted to try and restate this from the perspective of like giving it as advice. So by understanding your audience, if you want to speak at a conference, you might want to do a little bit of research about the conference as a whole, what kind of audience attends that conference, not just your session that you may want to talk about, but consider whether most of the people going there are going to be very knowledgeable about the subject already or whether they're novices, and then kind of extrapolate from that and refine your talk to cater to the level of understanding of the people who will be attending the conference. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's completely fair to say. So we'll talk a little bit later about practicing. That's a big part of it as well. But like, I think a lot of people, when they come up with a talk or they want to do public speaking, half of that is like understanding your audience. And usually people leave that out of the equation. And so everywhere from writing your talk to pitching your talk, I think that should always be understood is like, what is your audience? Is your audience going to be more interested in like a soft skills type stuff, which I don't know about you, but we've talked about this, but it seems like that's become a bigger and bigger deal and a bigger hit at developer conferences. And I think rightfully so. But I think like, are you going to do more like a soft skills talk? Because in that way, there isn't too much as far as technical stuff to let people know about, as opposed to like a very highly technical talk, which even at that point, like you can only do so much when it comes to a highly technical talk. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, very true. And Part of that is because just because you're going to a tech conference, just because you're in tech, doesn't mean that you can totally forget about or push to the side all of the other skills that you need day to day. They're really important too. And I think, you know, slowly a lot more people are starting to realize that and putting more emphasis on it. 
I just wanted to jump back to offer another tip. So as far as researching the audience for a conference, especially if it's an established conference that's been around at least one other year, the best way to go about that might be to visit their website, look at what the lineup in past years was, and then read the topics and gauge from that what the level of understanding, what the types of topics that the audience members are looking for, and then kind of derive your talks based on that. So yeah, first thing is like understanding what you want to talk about. I think that's a really great point, Eric. Like you said, go to the webpage, see what they are talking about, and what are some previous talks. The way I think about it is there's a saying probably you've heard of like, if you want to do really good, help your boss's job get easier or help them look better. And I think that kind of rule goes the same way when it comes to conference talks. You want to help the conference organizer's job of getting attendees and selling the conference and getting the sponsors easier. Your role is to help them sell their conference. And so the best talk that you can put forward and the best synopsis that will sell that conference is going to help that talk get picked. Yeah. And, you know, this gave me another thought too. We talked about researching and understanding the audience of a conference. Another idea here that I don't want to rule out is that you might already have a topic that you're really excited about. And maybe you've even presented it at a local meetup or, you know, at a work launch and learn or something like that. And you want to find places. So don't rule out finding the right conferences too. Just because you look at a conference that seems relevant, but when you start breaking down the talks from past years and finding out that maybe your talk wouldn't be a perfect fit, there are tons of conferences out there. And I think you'll be able to offer some ways to be able to find other conferences related to your field. But usually like a Google search of related conferences will help find a lot more that are going on. And they'll give you more opportunities to like drill in and find the ones that have that audience that are a better fit for the talk that you want to give. Yeah, it's a balance between what does the conference want and what will help you with your goals. Like going back to myself, like I want to establish myself as an expert. And I also, quite frankly, I want to talk about a topic that I want to extend my own knowledge on. So like that's something to think about as well. A great way to learn something is to basically speak on that topic and research it for a talk. So that's the thing you want to balance is finding the right conference that fits with what your goals are, but also coming up with a talk and a synopsis and a way to sell yourself and to sell your talk so that it helps the conference organizer sell the talk to other attendees and sponsors. I think that pretty much sums it up with coming up with the right talk and finding the right conference. So two resources for finding conferences, I would say, is uh, social media, of course, Follow people who are experts in whatever field you're in because they will definitely know and be able to plug you in with other conferences. And then the other thing is uh, papercall.io. Papercall.io is a great repository for where organizers can pitch their conferences and get people to fill out a call for papers for a particular conference. I would highly recommend signing up for that in order to know what conferences are coming up, especially in the technical field. But yeah, usually most conferences, yeah, you can probably Google that particular topic you are specialized in. But I think social media is also like a great way to find the right conference. Or I have a question about Papercall. Is it focused on tech conferences or 
Is it just like any kinds of conferences? It doesn't say anything about being technical, but I would assume that most of the folks on there are going to be highly technical. Because there are other conferences that I'm interested in, like board game and tabletop and role-playing games and like relationship conferences and stuff like that. Most of the ones I see on here are technical, so it could totally just be a technical. But they don't say anything on their landing page saying they're specifically for technical talks. Maybe that's because the people who are inclined to look for and use something like paper call right now are in technical or entrepreneurial fields. Yeah, exactly. I'll add that usually there are directories of other categories of conferences. So I had mentioned board games, for example. So if you go to Board Game Geek, they have a place where you can search for conferences. Another thing that you can do some internet searching for is a directory of conferences specific to the field that you want to talk in. Yes, exactly. And that goes back to like understanding your social network of whatever topic you're talking about. And usually it'll have a directory of some sort within that group. So the other thing I want to talk about is we talked about like, you're going to submit some sort of call for paper, which the organizer is going to use to kind of sell their conference to their audience. Say, Hey, so-and-so is speaking about this subject. You should come, you should pay whatever dollar amount to come to this conference. The other thing is you kind of need to like establish yourself as a speaker. Justin Jackson asked that question on social media, like that he gets the question about, you know, how do I get speaking gigs? And so a couple of things is going back and we're going to talk a little bit more about meetups as well. So meetups are a great way to practice your talk. And typically you and I have both organized meetups. It's a pain to get speakers. So usually folks are always looking for speakers at meetups. I highly recommend you do some talks or you practice your talk at a meetup, a local meetup, because that is a great way to do practice, but also bring your smartphone with you, get anybody in the audience to record you doing your talk and post that on live media or YouTube, post on the web somewhere. And that is a great way to show conference organizers that you actually can speak in front of an audience and do a decent job. So I think that's my like biggest tip is show that you have experience doing public speaking by recording yourself. And you'll have essentially like a resume of videos of talks that you've done that shows you have experience both on that topic, but also just doing public speaking as well. I think that's my like my biggest tip as far as getting speaking gigs is besides polishing up your your synopsis and selling yourself, but also like having video of yourself, either the very topic you're going to be talking about or showing you just have experience doing public speaking. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. And there's some other things that I want to say to piggyback on that as well. Hopefully I can uh, keep it on topic a little bit. So for Establishing yourself as a speaker. Meetup is a good place to go. Keep in mind that you can also look in surrounding cities. And if you have the opportunity to be able to travel up to an hour, it may still be worth it, especially if your goal is to actually find uh, potentially paid speaking gigs at bigger conferences. It could very much be worth driving an hour to practice and give your talk to a smaller audience to get their feedback and find ways that you can refine your talk. Some other ways that you might be able to go if you can't find meetups that are specific to the topic or the field that you're in are 
things like uh, Rotary Clubs, or there are uh, other like nonprofit groups that tend to welcome people who are talking about lots of different things that they're excited about, like different avenues of making money or sharing knowledge. So if you can't find a meetup specific to a topic, then try looking either on Facebook or just like do a uh, Google Maps search for like nonprofits that aren't necessarily like specific to a cause, but are more general like awareness raising and are interested in just having someone come in and talk about something new and exciting. Yeah, I think that's very true. The one caveat I would say is like, if you're going to speak at a Rotary Club, understand. So an example is you like host that demo night, for instance, right? I might practice a talk at your demo night, but with the understanding that that audience is not going to be as skilled as the other meetup where I will maybe like give that talk, like the formal talk at. So I might truncate it to the seven minutes you allocate, but then leave out a lot of the highly technical stuff for that audience. Yeah, very true. You might have to modify your talk for a less skilled audience where you'll practice your talk at, just to let you know. Yeah, and some other options if you have a conference talk idea that is very, very specific. Other ways that you could practice presenting in a way that will kind of establish yourself as a speaker is you can stream your talk to a smaller group. And there are lots of different ways to do that. Also, if you work, if your employer, is part of the talk, you can do a like lunch and learn. And so you can just invite people over lunch and you can give your talk. Yeah, that's totally a good option. Yep. And even go so like, they're probably colleagues who are a little bit more comfortable with you on a day-to-day basis and more willing to actually share a little bit about what they learned and give you more candid feedback, as well as promote you in the ways that you want to present yourself. Yeah. I want to piggyback on a question now that we're talking about smaller audiences. Mohammed Fani asked the question on social media about, um, should you challenge ask questions from your audience? What's the difference between uh, weak and unowned references? Do you do deep dive yourself? Or questions should only come from the audience? I'm more thinking of a small meetup and not a big conference. So just to like make sure I understand the question correctly, but like, should you allow the audience to interject questions in your talk? I'm going to kind of like pivot a little bit, slightly modify the question to what we're talking about here with speaking at like a lunch and learn or a small meetup. If you want to like practice your talk, I think that is a good opportunity to let the audience interject questions and make it more like a conversation. I think that's totally fine if you want to do that. It's really up to you. So if you are looking for active feedback in your talk or you want to make it more conversational, I think that's totally valid. I like to do Q&A at the end when it comes to like a bigger conference because otherwise a Q&A in between kind of can ruin your flow. Or if your talk is long enough, you can always like divide it into point A and then allow Q&A on point A and then go to point B and then allow Q&A in point B. As we'll get into like actually doing a talk, I would try to stay as organized as possible when it comes to a bigger conference. Yeah. So if you are going to speak to an audience as well, kind of like we were talking about with uh, Jessica in the last episode, you want to be mindful of some of the power dynamics going on and the format of your presentation. So if you are going to be standing and have a big screen and do the typical speaking to an audience, 
It probably is helpful to understand that the audience is probably going to consider you an authority on your topic. And so they probably will have questions. And I think it's helpful to actually declare early on whether or not you want them to interject with questions throughout your talk or save them to the end. If you want them to save questions to the end, there are also some fun tools that you can use. Asking people to use a hashtag and put it on Twitter or use a website where people can post their questions and you can have them all on a website that you can bring up on the big screen oh, and that's actually a great scroll idea. through them and address them one at a time. I like that a lot. So those are ways to actually make it helpful to the audience to be able to capture the questions and ensure that you will get back to them and that your intent isn't to ignore them so that you can just have the talking space for an hour or however long it is you're talking to. Some other things I want to offer too is if you want a more conversational presentation, you can do fireside chats, you can do interviews, you can do panels. Roundtables. Jessica mentioned like speed dating types of events where you can have small groups and you can speak to each small group and make it very informal. You mentioned Demo Night. That's a monthly event that I host that's very show and tell like. So it's very rapid fire, like five to 10 minutes informal. For those, five to 10 minutes is not a long time. So as the host of the event, I ask the audience to please hold their questions until the end because one question will really dig into that five minutes. And I want to make sure that when they're up there talking, that they've got that whole five to 10 minutes. And as audience members too, we can wait five, 10 minutes. We can even wait the whole hour if we need to. So just consider that if you want to be, or if you're okay with being interrupted with questions, if you'd rather have conversations instead of just lecturing, find ways to incorporate that, play around with the format of your presentation as well. Yeah, I think that's really great. And I think like with a smaller venue like that, it gives you a good opportunity to get constant feedback on your talk if you're going to use that to like practice before you speak at a bigger conference. I will post links in the notes about, we did an episode, I believe, on apps. And I use Filmic Pro to record myself. I have like a tripod and a thing where I could put my iPhone on. But like, you don't even need that. I've talked to other conference organizers we have a mutual friend who organizes conferences as well and he's like just like get somebody to record you give your phone to somebody in the audience and have them record a video of you and that's fine like you don't even have to go to the trouble of like live streaming and cropping and editing and all that stuff just show that you are a capable human being of speaking in front of a public audience and i think having that portfolio is super helpful Yeah, most of the time, the audience is going to be very compassionate and understanding about what you're doing and what some of your own limitations are. So it's okay to be informal. It's okay to record on your phone, have someone else do it. You don't have to look professional. Just have to consider like what your setting is and what your and your audience's expectations are. And the event organizers too. They might have their own ideas of how they want presentations to be presented. So I wanted to hop on to talking about practicing your actual talk. So we've talked kind of about practicing at meetups. I think like you said, be willing to travel like an hour away uh, if it matches the audience for your topic. If you absolutely need to, what I've done, (laughs) what I've done is like created my own meetup on a particular topic or even using something like Eventbrite to create like a workshop. That's pretty cheap anyways. 
to create your own meetup. And I think that's a great way to just practice your talks. Anything you can to like get feedback as soon as possible on an actual talk, I think is really helpful. Yeah. And this gave me a flashback to a recent really nice warm memory of something that just happened here in Lansing is that even if um, you're not able to make the drive an hour away to a bigger group, you can also just ask if they are willing to actually organize a bus or a road trip to come to you. And recently, we've had that happen with the Red Hat Linux users group that's in Grand Rapids, which is an hour away from Lansing. They decided to actually come to Lansing and take the whole group here to be able to support some of the Lansing people who like the group, but aren't always able to make that hour drive out to Grand Rapids. Like that was such a nice gesture. And I think about it a lot as one of those things that until I had actually seen that happen, I wouldn't have considered. But I want to make sure that no matter how you look at this, it never hurts to ask. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Because you'd be surprised to know how much other meetups can be enthusiastic. The other thing you could do to practice is set up a workshop. Like if you can't absolutely travel, you can always just do it from your home. We live in an age of live streaming and it's really not that hard to get started and set up. So if there's a topic you want to talk about and you have, you know, folks that might be interested Set up like a live stream, just or a Zoom call or a Skype call and practice your talk that way. At the very least, you can always do that. There's so much opportunity to practice your talk before you give it to a formal audience. that You should really take that opportunity when you can. I wanted to also talk a little bit about Toastmasters. So I did Toastmasters for a few years, and it's really about helping folks get started with public speaking. I think if you haven't at least gone to a meeting and at least check it out, I think it's worthwhile. It's not going to be the most ideal audience. And I think especially for people who deal with nervousness, I think it's a great way to get started and also just learn some of the basics of public speaking. Like for instance, with nervousness, like you learn right away that nervousness doesn't go away and it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's actually a useful tool to bring energy to your talk. Like if you can channel that nervousness, and that's a skill you learn as you do public speaking more and more, if you can channel that nervousness into energy, it can help you really get yourself polished and make you at least seem like someone who really loves the topic that they're talking about and is also enthusiastic about it and has a real knack for that particular topic that you're talking on. Yeah, very much so. and. I want to give some praise to a few people who hopped on Twitter when I was asking about their first experiences speaking. Had Olivia Odell, whom I saw speak at Beer City Code last year, Patrick Massey and Kristen Belcher all hop in and talk about this topic where there is this element to practicing a presentation that is not so much about making sure that you know the subject matter inside and out. It's about freeing up your confidence and, like you said, channeling your energy. So it's freeing you up to be able to let your excitement shine. And that is something that is probably as, if not more important than knowing the subject matter, like the back of your hand. If the audience sees that you're excited, that you're fired up about what you're talking about and that you're confident about talking about it, then all of those little like blunders that everyone is going to make are going to be left in the dust. 
compared to watching you be so excited and passionate about what you're talking. Yeah, I agree completely. So now that we talked about nervousness, I talked a little bit about Toastmasters. What I like about Toastmasters is that it covers some of the like very basics of public speaking. There's a few I want to talk about specifically. So there's body language. Be purposeful in how you use your arms, especially in hands when you talk. I'm not perfect at it by any means, but there's certain things that people do. And it's like I'm bad at waffling like back and forth when I talk. So I try to avoid that. Those are just things to keep in mind. The other thing is tone and pace. Speak slow. You might think you're going slow, but you're actually probably talking pretty fast. Slow down when you talk and have a decent pace. Have like a conversational tone when you talk. That's super helpful. And I think the least of the things I would worry about that Toastmasters specifically talks about is filler words. I don't think it's as big of a deal to have ums and ahs. Just don't do it too much because you sound like you don't know what you're talking about. Eric and I have the benefit of recording this podcast and having somebody edit those out occasionally. But I don't think filler words are as much of a villain as it's made out to be. I think it's just more important to not do it too much that it becomes excessive. Something that I did when I first started giving presentations to larger audiences was I asked one friend in the audience to just count how many times I was saying uh and um. And the other one that I find myself saying a lot is yeah, I, uh, and I just kind of mash all these words together as filler. And then they'll tell me afterwards. And then it's something that I can just give the presentation again, just to myself, record it or catch myself and try and just use whatever my initial attempt was as a baseline and just try and do a little bit better than that. Yep. That's a really great point. The other thing I want to talk about is visual aids. I think a visual aid is really helpful. Specifically, I want to talk about slides because I bet 80% of the people who are going to do public talks at a conference are going to have slides. That's the most frequent visual aid. So I have a few tips on that. One thing is buy a clicker. They are like, you can probably buy one on Amazon. I'll see if I can find the one that I have for like five bucks. They're really not expensive. Basically, it comes with a little USB dongle. You put it in your computer or whatever presentation device you have, and you essentially use it like a keyboard. So like up and down, just go from slide to slide. Some of them even have like a nice red laser pointer that you could use. It frees up your hands and it makes you not using like a keyboard or some other device to control the slides. You can just use the clicker and it makes you look more professional. Another thing I would say is with whatever presentation platform you're using, if it's PowerPoint, Keynote, Google Slides, Prezi, whatever it is, try to stay within that presentation application. I've seen people go to like their text file editor or their development tool or go to a YouTube clip and it just ends up always being a mess. So here's my little tip. Record video of that. So record video of you doing whatever you want a live demo at your presentation. Or if it is a YouTube video, there are ways you can download the YouTube video and then embed it in your presentation. This avoids like the mess of constantly like shifting back and forth or going like, oh, this YouTube video doesn't work right. What's going on? Oh, the internet doesn't work, which is a whole other thing is like, don't assume that the internet at the conference is going to be great. It probably is going to suck. So. Just have that understanding, have a backup plan if that's the case. And then concerning slides specifically, avoid a lot of words. Like 
have one or two words, have headings, and then 90% of the text that you would think should be on a slide should just be your words coming out of your mouth. People aren't going to read a lot of text. And if you want to take it to the next level, use pictures. If you want to be funny, feel free to toss in a meme if your audience is like going to think that that's actually appropriate. Or use a picture that kind of visualizes what your idea that you're trying to communicate. And then lastly, I want to say is use some sort of like, I know Kino has this where if you have a second display, one display can show what your next slide is and your time and your notes. And the other display is what the audience sees. That's just the slide. Use that. Um, I find that to be super helpful and it helps you stay focused on your presentation. So that's all I wanted to say as far as like slides and visual aids, I guess. Yeah. And as for like why you don't want to switch applications a lot, the modern operating systems of this thing, and even like within a web browser itself, they have their independent volume settings. And so it's entirely possible that even if you have rehearsed a presentation, as soon as you plug in a different advice, you're on a different network, and you switch back and forth between applications, your volume settings might change. Yeah, that's a really and good point. Sometimes, like if you refresh a page, one of your videos might even go back to muted. And so just because you have practiced and you've got this system that you think will work down from like switching from your presentation to a web browser and then to some other application doesn't guarantee that it's going to work live. And the audience is going to understand that there's technical difficulties that will crop up. However, it is going to dig into the time that you have with your audience. Lots of times your presentation needs to end at a specific time so your audience members can get to a next place at a conference. So it's not so much about like you flubbing your presentation so much as being respectful of the time that you and your audience have together. And then you talked about having a clicker too. Another thing that I've seen some people use successfully is their smartphone. I don't have a lot of practice with this, but I have seen people use smartphones as a clicker. So if you have a smartphone, you may not even need to fork out the money. It's just one of those things that you'll have to build some familiarity and test out while you're giving your presentation. I will say the problem with the smartphone, I think it's worth the money spending on a separate clicker because they're not that expensive. The problem with the smartphone is people sometimes will forget to go into do not disturb mode on the phone and then it becomes a distraction and it also has a screen. Whereas at least with the clicker, it's like small little tactile buttons that you can just press to go back and forth. Whereas the phone, you'll have to like actually look at the screen to know which way to go and what button to press. I would say it's worth getting a, a separate clicker, a separate device for that, uh, as cheap as they are. All right. Fair point. And another thing that you mentioned, too, was the do not disturb. Oh, absolutely. You should do that on your laptop or whatever laptop you're going to be using. That goes to another point I wanted to mention is like, have your presentation be portable in such a way that it doesn't need to be on your computer to run it. So if you were doing a keynote, have the keynote. If you're doing PowerPoint, have the PDF available. So you can maybe even go through it on that if you need to. And then obviously, if you're doing Google Slides, have an offline PowerPoint version available. So that way it doesn't have to be run on your specific computer. It can work anywhere. And I would add that it also helps to use a web-based tool for your presentation because there is a lot higher guarantee that if you have to switch computers, that your presentation is still going to look the same. Even if you have a backup of like a, a PowerPoint or a keynote presentation, I've had so many times where I open it up on a different computer and 
the fonts are just like slightly different sized. So there is like one letter that wraps. And if you've got everything sized so it's nice and big so your audience can see it, and then suddenly the formatting even is just like one letter off, it's noticeable and it's just going to distract. And I would go even further. Don't use custom fonts and custom templates. <laughs> just use the built-in stuff. Like when I do keynote, I use like the regular black or white background and keep it simple. Because if you've probably watched a Apple presentation, you've probably noticed that they use just the black background and the white text keynote template. Like if they do it, I think you're fine just keeping it simple when you do it as well. So try to avoid like over customization on that stuff. It's really about like have a picture, have text, move on. Yeah, you don't need lots of flashy animations and stuff like that. If it's something that you find fun and don't mind spending the time on, go ahead, but consider it optional. And then I also wanted to add that for your AV hardware, keep in mind that you might be hooked up to a projector that doesn't support the same resolutions as your own laptop. And so one thing that you may want to do to help make sure that everything is sized well within your presentation and is going to look good on whatever the target hardware is, is adjust the resolution on your own computer down to something really, really low and make sure that it still looks good. Yes. Awesome. So we've talked about everything except the biggest thing that I think we need to talk about when it comes to presentation is actually writing it. And I think a big part of that process is organization. So having really, really good organization in a talk is going to be the most important thing that you can do when it comes to its actual content. I have gone through a lot of presentations where they're not organized in any fashion and it is really difficult for an audience to memorize and remember your content if it is not organized in some sort of great fashion. So I, I've done a, like a personal topic that has like about my family and things like this. And that followed a much more narrative chronological format with something like you're trying to either convince somebody or you're trying to teach somebody. So either persuasive or highly technical stuff. I would recommend like a typical essay format then. So the way that works is you have an intro that hooks the audience. And then at the end of that intro, you basically have what I would consider like a thesis. What is the one thing you want the audience to take away with? Or what are you trying to prove to that audience in one sentence or less? That's what I would say is an intro. And then from there, you want to have, I would say, anywhere between two to five points. And then each point could also be broken down into the same format. So almost like a Russian doll, right? So it's like each point would then have its own intro and then it would be broken down to one or two points within that. After you cover each point, then in your conclusion, you want to start with some sort of, again, restate your thesis in a different word. You want to state to the audience. And this is probably the one slide I would say you can allow the most words. Have the five points that you want the audience to come away with when they leave. What do you want them to remember when they leave that room or your talk is finished? Also, it's a good opportunity to let the audience know what you want them to do. So if it's persuasive, you might have some sort of action that you want them to do. And if it's technical, you might want them to learn more, sign up on your website, whatever it is, or maybe give them an opportunity to learn more about that subject. So that's the other thing you want to do in the conclusion. And then at that point, going back to Mohammed's question, yes, after that would be a good opportunity to let the audience ask questions and answers. 
And you do not need to know everything. You don't need to have the answer to everything. You can either a follow up with that audience member or you can, you know, say, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Or somehow, you know, it's okay to not be 100% knowledgeable on that subject. I think it's important just to point your audience in the right direction. And then, like, if you've practiced your content enough, any holes within that talk, they're going to happen. It's okay. And, you know, you've had that pointed out. Just be honest. I think that's the most important thing and show that you at least have some knowledge, practical knowledge on that subject that shows you as an expert. I think that covered organization and like actually writing the talk itself. Yeah. So that essay format, I like to think of that almost as like a Lego instructions or a recipe where if you can visualize what like a Lego instructions or a recipe looks like, first you get a picture and a name, like the idea of what the end result is going to be. And then you start from this like foundational approach of like, what are you building on like the first layer? And you show what that first layer looks like. And then you even break that further down. Like you were saying, you can just reiterate over this process of like, you know what that first layer looks like. Now, what are the individual components of it to build up to that? And then you go to the next page, your second point that's adding a second layer and it's building on top of what you've already added on the first point. And you keep doing that until the end where you've got the final results. You can show it from different perspectives and then it looks really yummy or like this awesome toy that you want to play with. Yeah. Kino has this way of where you can like just do the outline and then it'll automatically create the slides for you. And so like, that's a great way to like visualize it kind of from the like 10,000 feet kind of view, like an overview. And then each little like note that you might put into it might go on a separate slide note. So that way you have a reminder. The other thing I've been doing is like writing a whole blog post on a topic and then kind of using the slides as the outline of that topic and then writing a blog post and then taking the blog post content and putting that in the slide notes. And that like really helps me understand the topic fully and then also keep it organized for the slides. Yeah. Something else to consider here too is given that you probably only have so much time and there might be more questions, don't be afraid. Actually, I encourage people to actually tell the audience where they can follow up with more questions and have conversations online, whether it's a website or Twitter or wherever. So if people have questions that uh, you don't get to address, they can ask them online and you can keep everyone engaged and you can learn more about the subject. You can share more about the subject and have conversations and keep building those relationships. I think having like your Twitter handle on every slide, like that might seem excessive, but if you put it like in a little corner is a great way. And then having like an about me and also somewhere in the conclusion, another way that people can get a hold of you, I think is super helpful because if it's recorded, it might end up being permanent. So somebody might watch it and be like, how do I get a hold of this guy? Really loved his talk or he said something wrong. Like I want to point that out or let him know. Like, I think that's a great, way to do that and make sure that's done. I think we covered our topic pretty well. Wouldn't you say? I've covered enough from my perspective. (laughs) I still feel like I have plenty of growing on my own to do. We'd love your feedback on this. Like if you have any more questions on public speaking, reach out to us and let us know. We'd like to hear more. You can reach us on Twitter at OKProductive or we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And are we on MySpace? Did you get that set up yet? No. 
Oh, you got to work on that. Come on. No, no. get out of here, Leo. <laughs> I think we're good. Anything else, Eric? Uh, no, sir. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us and we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.